0: on page 4 of the bulletin as we continue through the book of Romans. This is Paul speaking to the churches uh, in Rome and around. Romans 7, 7 through 13. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin." I don't know if any of you have read the novel or novella. It's a short book, really, by Robert Louis Stevenson called The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Not the movie, but the book. It's actually a short read, but a a very, very good one. We're all familiar. I, I normally watch just the Bugs Bunny version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But no, this one was even better. Um... It's a story about a mild man or doctor, Dr. Jekyll. He pays his taxes. He's a good civic uh, citizen. But there's a frustration in him. You see, there is a darkness in Dr. Jekyll. And he becomes frustrated with his life because he has on one side this reputation and desire to do good. And yet there is a darkness in him that seems to want to come out. His life is in conflict This is what Jekyll wrote. He said, both sides of me were in deadly earnest. As the respectable doctor, I did not shirk my responsibilities and only ever sought to do good. But as a Jekyll of the night, I was equally dedicated to the pursuit of pleasure. With every day, I drew steadily nearer the truth that man is not truly one, but truly two. And Jekyll, the doctor, became, uh, he thought of an idea. And this was his idea. As I grew older, I began to daydream about the possibility of separating my two selves. If each, I told myself, could be housed in separate identities, life would be so much easier. The good could keep steadfastly to the responsible steady path. The other could go his own way, delivered from the guilt and fear of disgrace of his more upright twin. So what does Jekyll do? He creates a potion. And as Jekyll drinks the potion and turns into Mr. Hyde, he discovers something about himself, that indeed Mr. Hyde is much more wicked than Dr. Jekyll. They aren't simply sort of the yin and the yang, but indeed Mr. Hyde is ten times more wicked than Dr. Jekyll. And as Dr. Jekyll experienced his life as Mr. Hyde, in all of its evil, it was to him, he said, as fresh red wine. He could go out unfettered, and indeed, if you were to walk by Mr. Hyde, your skin would begin to crawl. Here was a man who was total evil itself. And as Dr. Jekyll would switch back and forth, what he discovered is more and more, Mr. Hyde did not want to switch back. Indeed, he found himself becoming Mr. Hyde more and more and finally to the point where he realized that the, the last time that he drank this potion that he would never switch back. And he ended up killing himself because the authorities were onto him. You see, Dr. Jekyll underestimated what lay beneath himself, in his soul and in his heart, the wickedness that dwelled in his heart. And I think sometimes we do as well. I don't know if you've ever thought of the question, what would I do if no one knew about it? If I could get away with it? I don't know if there are thoughts that flash across your mind that you wonder where did that come from? And yet there is a secret delight, if you will, in the revenge that you have, in the idea that you have, there's something that you hold on and you wonder, with shame even, what if people knew this side of me? The story here, this passage, is about the Apostle Paul who was once alive, once a righteous Dr. Jekyll, if you will. But he says that the law showed him who he was and it actually put him to death. And that Paul realized that what he needed was not more good behavior, but rather he needed a Savior. Paul is showing us that knowing that which is good is not enough, that we need something deeper to fix that which lies beneath, not simply good behavior, but rather a savior. And so we're going to look at three points if we want to understand this passage. Number one, we have to recognize what lies beneath. What is in the heart of man? What is in my heart and your heart if we want to understand why Jesus came? Two, we need to respond to the law. We need to understand the purpose of the law, why it came and what it can do for us. Finally, we must follow the law to the Savior. We must make the jump simply from good behavior to a Savior if we want to experience why Jesus came and what Christianity has for us. So let's begin with my first point. We must recognize what lies beneath. Last week, and in the verse before this passage here in Romans 7 7, 7 6, Paul said this, but now we are released from the law. He's speaking to Christians having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Paul is saying that we have been released from the law. Now what law is he talking about? Well, he's in specific talking about the law of the Bible, the Ten Commandments and all the things that proceed from it. But he's also speaking of the law that exists in all human hearts. The law, And we've proven this, that if you go to uh, just about any country, you'll discover that there is a universal sense of right and wrong, universal practices around the world. And apparently we were held captive to that law before becoming Christians. And now we are dead to the law, that we may live in a new way. Now, he did not say that the law is dead. He said that we are dead to the law. And so Paul in 7-13, through this passage is responding to an objection that people will make. In verse 7, the objector would say, What then shall we say, that the law is sin? And Paul says, by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. In other words, what Paul is saying is that the law itself is, is not sin. It's ridiculous to say that the law is that which is bad. The law is what makes us do wrong. By no means, Paul said, absolutely not. He says it in about as as, uh, harsh a way as you can say in Greek. Instead, he says, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known what sin was. That this law is communicating to me that which is right and that which is wrong. The law of the Bible, and indeed the laws that are the foundation of society. We are very blessed in our country. If you read our Declaration of Independence, it is very clear that the foundation of the laws of man in our country is the existence and the giving of the law by God. The Creator is mentioned no less than four times in our Declaration of Independence, excuse me, in our Constitution. It was G.K. Chesterton, the great British uh, essayist, who said that America is the only nation that's founded on a creed. It is the law that helps us to see that which is right and wrong. But notice what verse 8 says, "...but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead." What Paul is saying is that the law, however, is not enough. That there is this entity, it, it almost there's a, there's a living animation to it, isn't it? That sin sees the opportunity of the law. The law, if you will, is like an accelerant to sin. I recently started up, uh, I was using my lawnmower, I hadn't used it in a while. And so I have this wonderful thing, it's called ether. Anybody use Ether. You fire a little of that into the carburetor, no problems. Now, the engine might blow up, but it's going to start. See, that's what the law is to the human heart. It's an accelerant for sin. And indeed, Paul says, it produced in me all kinds of sin. It multiplied it. For as Paul says, apart from the law, sin lies dead. Well, that can't be right. What is he really meaning? What he really means is, apart from the law, sin lies dormant. That sin is like a predator crouching, waiting for the right opportunity. You ever watch as a, a tiger or a puma or a jaguar in those movies, you know, in the documentaries as they move and they move and they crouch and they wait, dormant for the right opportunity to spring? And much as the potion was to Dr. Jekyll, the law is the potion for Mr. Hyde, for us. For look in verse 8 and 11, that sin seized the opportunity of the law, that the law became the potion for this Mr. Hyde who is hiding inside of us. And what did sin do? It deceived me and it killed me. What is this sin, this monster that lies within? I love the acronym for sin—acronym for sin—self-indulgence. Now, it's a sense that I am the center of life. It is me, and it is everyone else, and the world revolves around me. We saw sin lying dormant in the garden, didn't we, with Adam and Eve? When the serpent, sensing the right time, struck, Adam and Eve had a law to obey, didn't they? And the serpent came to Adam and Eve and said, Did God really say don't eat from that tree? Oh no. If you eat from that tree, you will become like God, knowing good and evil. You can be the center of the universe. You can be a law unto yourself. Sin has the ability to take that which is good and make it look bad. And take that which is bad and make it look good. Are you with me? I think you are. The very commandment Paul says that promised life proved to be death to me. Indeed, Satan's, the serpent's promises were life but they proved to be death. You've discovered this in your own life, haven't you? This law shows me, sin shows me that I'm Ten times more wicked than I thought I was. As we say, cheer up, you're far worse than you think you are. It's when we sin, when we see the law, when we, it's there that we're able to recognize that the problem is not the law. The problem is my heart. Paul goes on, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. See, the law is God's way to expose the sin of my heart. It's a trap, if you will, to draw out sin, to demonstrate what lies beneath See, like Paul, we want to believe that we are good people. But the law is there to show us that we are not. Jesus makes it easier, doesn't he? If we take the law and we try to shove it away, we think of Jesus as meek and mild and kind, and surely he's going to give us a bigger pass than the law in general. And Jesus sums up the law with this, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, And to love your neighbor as yourself. How are we doing at following that law? No, it cuts us to the heart when we examine ourselves against this law. When we see the reality that there's nowhere I'm ever coming near to that in my heart. The more I try to follow the law, the more I fail, is what Paul is saying. Even if I disregard the law, the law continues to stay. I can't get rid of the problem inside of me. I don't know if you're a student of history. I was a foreign affairs political science major at school. I thought about the French Revolution, which took place in about 1789 to 1799, uh, where there was the rise of Napoleon at the end of it. And it was during the reign of King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette. And they were bad monarchs. Bad, bad king and queen. They were extravagant in their spending. They didn't care for the the proletariat, the working class. And a series of bad harvests led the the French people starving. And finally, the French people had enough. They overthrew uh, King Louis and Marie Antoinette. They sent them to the guillotine, the guillotine in 1793. And at that time, the Jacobins seized control of the government and they instituted a series of radical measures. They established a new calendar and they eradicated Christianity. See, they said the problem is the, obs- the, the oppressive structures that are above us. Now to be certain, there was, uh, you know, there was the corruption of the monarchy. But they said, let's get rid of all law. No one can tell us what to do. And so uh, began the bloody reign of terror. Over the next year alone, 17,000 people were officially tried and executed. As people were sent to the guillotine willy-nilly for any reason or no reason at all. See, they tried to get rid of the law and all it did was increase the savagery of the people. It was Winston Churchill who said that democracy is the absolute worst form of government except for any other. Law can restrain sin, but it cannot stop the darkness that lies within. See, law shines a flashlight on our own heart. And so have you examined your own heart? Have you really looked at it? You may say I'm not a bad person because I know bad people go to hell. But the reality is bad people don't go to hell. Unforgiven people go to hell. The law shows who we are. And so we try to rationalize away the law. I'm not that bad. I follow 95% of the law or minimize the law. Yes, it applies to them, but it doesn't apply to me. Or outright disregard the law. But the law stays. And it continues to show and accelerate the darkness of my heart. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they say that the first step that one must come to if they want to get to the point of sobriety is to acknowledge that there is a problem. And so we too, like Paul, must acknowledge that I do choose me over God. I do choose me over others. You may respond, but Carlos, I am a Christian. Yes, you are. If you are a Christian, you are a saint who continues to sin. There is still a darkness in our heart. You see, if you're not willing to acknowledge your behavior, then you don't need a Savior. We must acknowledge that we have a problem. This brings me to my second point. We must acknowledge we have a problem. What lies beneath and we must respond to the law. Paul gets autobiographical here. He talks about his conversion. Notice Paul in verse 9. I once was apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Now Paul is saying I once was alive apart from the law. We know that can't be true. Paul grew up in a deeply religious home. He would, have been, he would have known the law from a very, very young age. How was it that he was apart from the law? It means that he really didn't understand the law. He didn't understand himself. He was so good at rationalizing the law that he didn't see the flashlight into his own heart. But the law got to him. And how did it get to him? It got to him through the 10th commandment, coveting. Notice, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would have not known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. Now, what is coveting? Coveting is more than simply wanting stuff. It's not a bad thing to want stuff. The Bible doesn't say, uh, we shall not want stuff. We don't really use the word coveting. But we haven't gotten rid of the word either, have we? Coveting means to inordinately want something. It means not only to want it, but to have to have it. To want it more than you want anything else. More than you even want God. To place it on a pedestal above everything else. In essence, to worship it. So what was it that Paul was coveting? Paul, in his autobiography, uh, his passage in Philippians uh, speaks of his righteousness, that he was a a Pharisee of Pharisees, that he was blameless as regards the law. It wasn't something like uh, adultery or murder or corruption or things like that. Paul prided himself on his righteousness. Paul himself was even on the way to arrest Christians when he was slain by the law. So what was it that Paul was coveting? You can tell what Paul was coveting when Jesus speaks to him on the road to Damascus and he says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? What was Paul doing? He was going to arrest Christians because he hated the message of the gospel. Because what Paul really, really wanted was righteousness apart from Christ. Righteousness on the own merits of his behavior. See, it was religious coveting, but it was coveting. He wanted a perfect record, even above wanting God. So much so, that he was killing God himself. He was trying to. Notice Jesus' words, why are you persecuting me? And it was there when Paul heard this. When the law showed him that he was coveting righteousness more than God. That it killed him. Verse 11, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. He was struck to the heart, if you will. He was laid bare in his soul. Before he was quite comfortable holding the coats of Christians while they stone, or holding the the coats of the people as they stoned Christians. He thought he was doing the right thing. He, he went to bed very happy with himself. You can go to bed quite comfortable in your sin till the law exposes. And as Paul saw the reality of the darkness of his heart, he knew that he needed a savior. See, that's the point of the law, isn't it? To show us who we are. To show us that we need a savior. It doesn't matter if you're irreligious. And you try to throw away the law and to go the exact opposite rec- uh, direction. Sooner or later, the law continues to communicate. And you can try to drown out its shouts. You can be religious You can do all the right things. You can keep Jesus at arm's length, coveting a righteousness apart from him. Or you can listen to the point of the law. Galatians 3.24 says it this way. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Paul was slain by the law and he opened his eyes. He needed a new righteousness. That's why he penned three chapters ago in verse 21, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It was only when Paul was slain by the law that he could then experience the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That he could then experience the freedom of being set free from all the demands of the law because of the righteousness of Christ. It's only then that he could experience the unconditional love of God who loved evil Paul the way he was. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ as well. If you are a Christian, are you experiencing the crushing burden of the law every day? Or are you looking to the Savior? Is my Christianity really at the end about good behavior? Or is it about trust in a Savior? I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I was 18. And slowly and steadily, it feels often like one step forward and two steps back. God is changing me and molding me more into his likeness. But there are thoughts that I have, words that I say, attitudes that I possess, that make me sometimes wonder if I've changed at all. I wonder what you would think of me if you had an opportunity to take a front row seat and maybe see my mind for a day, would you think of me the same way? Would you think that people would think of you the same way? If I'm simply under the law, I can experience no forgiveness. It will kill me. But the reality is for the Christian, you and I are not under the law. Because every single one of those charges of the sins that I have committed, that I am committing, and that I will commit, was nailed to a cross 2,000 years ago. The reality is guilt and shame can never change a person's heart. Only love can change a person's heart. So, who can you be real with? Can you be real with yourself? Can you be real with one another? See, the cross looms larger and larger when you recognize and realize who I am and who He is. In the words of John Newton, I only know two things that I am a great, great sinner. And He is a great, great Savior. Jesus Christ took all of that sin on His cross that He bore. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He didn't become a sinner simply. He became sin. You see, on that cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ became Mr. Hyde. In all of its evil, taking it to himself, down to death. And so look not to the law. Look not to your record, but look to the cross. For the cross is your freedom. The cross is your righteousness. The cross is your justification. The cross is our hope. The cross is our joy. We must follow the law to Jesus Christ every day. That's why if you're a non-Christian, I come bringing you not good advice but good news. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom you and I are the worst. But if we are Christians, my third point is to follow the law to Jesus. See, that day on the road to Damascus, the old Saul died. And the new Saul emerged. He even got a new name, didn't he? Paul. And he began to arrange all of his life, not around his righteous record and behavior, but around Jesus Christ. Paul's gospel was simply this. When I came to you, brothers, as he says in First Corinthians 2, 1, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom. As I proclaimed you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the message. And Jesus is exactly to you what His cross is. Do you want to experience freedom, a free heart? A clean record in Christ? unconditional acceptance and love and the hope of glory. Look to the cross. Look to the living Savior. For he was put to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. When Paul was experiencing the criticism of the church at Corinth, he said in 1 Corinthians 4, three, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Every single one of us has a courtroom, and every single one of us has a judge who sits over us. Is it the law, or is it Jesus Christ? The law is not bad. But when Christ is the center of my life and he is my righteousness, why do I follow the law? Simply because it pleases him. Not because I have to. The law has no hold on me. But because I want to. So why are you following the law? Is it good behavior? Hoping to get out early on good behavior? Or because you're already free. You already have a savior. And you want to walk in the path of which Jesus Christ has given you. We can live lives captive to the law. We can base our salvation as Paul did on my record. Or we can throw ourselves into the arms of Jesus. The cross is king. So no longer base your life on your good behavior. No longer live under the judge of the law. Jesus said, if anyone is weary, come to me and take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And there, with my yoke upon you, you will find rest for your souls. May we live out our Christianity as forgiven people, as free people, rejoicing that we know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's all we need to know to live in the freedom of forgiven people. Let's pray. We thank you for your law which you put in charge to lead us to your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? But because of Jesus Christ, all of my sins are wiped away. Lord, if my one defense is my righteousness, I have no defense. Thank you that you have come. Let us lean wholeheartedly on our Savior and not our good behavior. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well.